everybody. Welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. Here on our podcast, we talk every week about different things related to Elixir. On our panel this week, we have Mark Erickson. Hey there. Chuck Wood. Hey, everybody. I'm Eric Berry, and we have a special guest, David. Now, David, I'm not going to try and pronounce your last name. We talked a little bit about this beforehand, but let's, uh, let's hear how you pronounce it and some of the reasons or some of the different explanations of that. It's pretty fun. So, uh, hi guys, uh, my name is uh, David Magalhães. It's the Portuguese, more or less common name that uh, you have a different translation. You have in, in Spanish, you have Magalhães, and you have in English also as, also as Magellan. Yeah. So is that like Magellan, the, uh, the astronomer? Uh, uh, yeah, he, he was an explorer. So he, he, I explorer, think he, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he was from like the 16th century. He, he, he tried to circumnavigate the world by boat, and uh, he, he didn't make it. He didn't make it. Also, his crew, uh, he uh, they achieved to to travel around the globe. So yeah, yeah. I like it. So Mark is a biblical name, Eric is a Viking name, and Chuck Wood is a nursery rhyme. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say how Tom. much wood could a wood Chuck, Chuck if a wood Chuck, could Chuck Wood right? Oh, a, a tongue twister, right? Yes, <laughs> as much wood as a wood Chuck could Chuck if a wood Chuck could Chuck Wood. I've been saying it all my life. Oh, yeah. but you have. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we, uh, we're having you on today to talk about your, uh, your experience with Elixir. And uh, you've had some blog posts recently where you talked about different ways to uh, upload data, um, upload uh, files to S3 and stuff like that. So why don't we first go ahead and talk a little bit about your history and what brought you to Elixir? So uh, more or less about one, uh, one year, two and a half, uh, took a friend of mine to approach me. He wants to, to start a company. So even in Portugal, he, he had worked for almost five years or so in Switzerland. And uh, he wants to, um, for me to, to turn in. And also, he wants me to, to, to play and to, to start learning to start learning Elixir. So uh, this was a total twenty language for me. I am a Java developer. I, I have more or less three years of experience of, uh, as a Java developer, and then um, I'm also a PHP guy. And uh, learning Elixir from my previous experience that I have with programming language was a very lightweight, easy to handle language. I think it's straightforward. Uh, you don't have, you don't have a lot of uh, like um, for Java. You have a lot of components. It's a very forgetful language. And um, the thing about Elixir, uh, the pattern matching, the the functional language. For all the stuff, I think it, uh, it it's very neat. I think it works pretty well. And um, as soon as I, I start uh, to go dive into it, I, I start learning that uh, for other projects like uh, uh, WhatsApp and I think Discuss, I think they use, they both use Elixir and Erlang. 
and yeah, I, I uh, for until now it's it, it's been um, uh, a, a great pleasure to be uh, to uh, to work um, in real uh, language. So we talk a lot of uh, we talk with a lot of guests who have come from a Ruby background and have moved over to Elixir. And that path has seemed to be fairly seamless in a way. You come from a Java background and moving to Elixir. What is that experience like coming from something that's so uh, type heavy and so structured and might I say um, painful uh, to something like Elixir? Yeah, like I said, uh, my... uh, I I started learning Java in the, the first company that I start, and uh, I think Java is a great language when you are trying to build some big thing, a very a very robust thing. Like uh, I I I've, I've worked in some two big companies, and uh, the, the 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 microservice. For architecture, I think it's um, it's a big thing that is coupled with Java programming language, and um, I've always have been working with, for example, with PHP, that is a scripting language, and uh, I kind of feel like I feel very lightweight working with PHP, but PHP has its own problems. Uh, it's it's not a very uh, good language to create the functional software to deploying for the, the real world, and uh, the Java is a very heavy type of language. It's a very, I think it's a very difficult language to grasp on, and we kind of um, need some time to learn and to know how things going, and and it's a bit. So it's messy, and the first thing that I noticed when I I moved to uh, to Ilshir, uh, the, the first thing is that in the in the university I've already have dealt with the Prolog that is very similar language to uh, Ilshir, and uh, for that part was kind of easy. But uh, for even so, I needed to. To change the way we create software for Emilshear, because in some type, in some cases, uh, it's very different uh, to to create the software in terms of code in Java and do it uh, in the same way in the in Emilshear. But uh, at the end of the day, after all the things that um, I, I I've learned uh, to, to manage. Uh, uh, how I did things in Java and how, how I do things in the in the Elixir. I've, I think it's a very light language, very easy to learn. And it's it's like a kind of a logic language. Every code we type, I think it's more clear to understand it in Elixir than the, the, to understand it if we have written that in, in Java. Yeah, I haven't, so you mentioned that you'd worked with uh, Prolog before, and that's not one that I've ever worked with, but I'm, I'm familiar with some of the ideas of it. And um, sorry, sorry. Uh, I have Prolog in the in, sorry in university, so it's not kind of uh, yeah. I've tinkered with it for about four months or so. 
Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I work with uh, some people who there's a, a large Java group that I'm, that I'm familiar with. And we do have one of the members of our team who's an Elixir team. One of the members uh, came from Java. So that is an interesting transition to hear about because I've asked, like, what is that like moving from Java? And he said, you know, like, like the idea of uh, accessors, right? Where you have getters and setters for everything. And like just to work with JSON, you have to create a class with nested classes with nested classes that all have accessors just to access JSON. Because we were using a GraphQL interface and it's like, well, in order to support that, you basically need to build an SDK for your service if you want to provide that service to a Java. But, you know, we, we have to like as Elixir professionals, if we have a service that we intend to be consumed by... Um, uh, enterprises, they're going to have a lot of .NET and a lot of Java. So we still have to be aware of Java as a client of our SaaS systems or, or anything like that. So yeah, that's an interesting heritage um, coming from the, the Java perspective. So I just wanted to comment on one of the articles that uh, you recently posted about was about using Phoenix and uploading with S3, with AWS, S3's service for uh, file storage. And that is something I think a lot of people, that they would like to be able to use that as well because S3 is a common service that people like to lean on. So uh, could you talk a little bit about your approach for how you do that or, or how you would recommend people to start there? Yeah, so uh, this article, I think uh, more or less about one year since I've uh, wrote it. Um, the, there was uh, some similar talk articles uh, to, to explaining how, to, how to, uh, to upload files. Um, but I just, uh, I think the, uh, the way that I, I was trying to, to do it is it's, uh, to, to attach the user ID to uh, the file name that we, we want to, to upload it, and uh, for, for that is a little bit tricky because first you need to insert, uh, and then after uh, for insert, inserting, you you um, you do the upload of the file that I use the R library, and uh, on the top of that, and I think. Uh, one thing that uh, it's, it, it was a huge boost in terms of uh, this article being for my top read article is that um, I explain how, how to perform tests on, the, on that uh, functionality. So uh, even in Java, when I wrote for a feature, I, I, I tried to create all the tests when necessary to know that feature was well implemented and even in the future if we change the to that fe uh, that feature we know that um, we can we can test it again again and again and be notified if that feature stopped stopped working and uh, the for this article i put a lot of uh, focus on uh, how to test the uh, this feature of uploading a file to f3 and uh, I think I even got some people on the Gilly forum to, uh, to link to, to this article when some guy 
was trying to find a way to test uh, this feature on his uh, on his software. So uh, for another, I think, good point and being uh, able to to create tests in Java with uh, the frameworks that, that exist, I think uh, the testing features on the Philly sheet is very simple. Uh, it it don't re require for a lot of us that uh, testing in Java requires even to do some kind of integration test and stuff like that. And it's a big plus uh, for Illichir to, um, to, to kind of do test-driven development. So we can write the test. Tests in Illichir are very easy to write. And uh, I've handled, I've used some other libraries like Plex Machina that uh, can create um, to mock data very quickly in the, the in into the database and have like uh, for the test creating uh, a test uh, creation um, really fast. Yeah, I testing is a super important aspect of uh, Elixir to me, especially. Um, I love TDD of test driven development. And so I just wanted to point out a couple of things that you had kind of said there. So you're saying like in this particular article, you're using talking about the ARC library and about half of your article, which I think is great, deals with testing. And, and then you bring out this, um, let's see, it's this gem. I'm, I'm sorry, not a gem. It's a mix project called Fake S3, which I'd that never is heard a, of. It is a gem. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. It is a gem. Thank you. I'd never uh, seen that before, and I thought, "Oh, that's great! It's a uh, just it's a lightweight server that responds to the same API of Amazon S3." So, like, that's another way of providing that uh, mocking interface or a testing interface for integration-style tests when you're wanting to have a Phoenix application that interacts with an S3 uh, system. So, those are, and I just love that you took the the approach of testing is so important. Like, it's half of my article. Yeah. That it's, yeah. And it's not just the, because so many times you see like, this is how you make it work. And I'm like, that's awesome. How do I test that? I don't even know how to test that, right? So I think that's great. And I'm glad you, you took that approach there. So cheers. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's interesting, this article we actually referenced uh, recently when we added uh, image upload for our Elixir app. So nice. we followed your directions and everything. Um, the one thing that I ran into is uh, in here you show how to uh, how to execute this gem or have this gem run in Travis. How do you handle it locally? Do you also have the? Uh, I guess for the listeners, let me give it a little bit of an explanation. So, part of this gem, the the fake S three gem, what it does is it creates this this server that acts as a proxy, essentially, or, or captures these S three uploads and returns the re response as if S three would. So. It's, it's hijacking the response and returning that is so that you can test it. However, and it works great on, on Travis by running these scripts that you have in your post. Uh, what, what I've run into is how do you handle that when you're, when, uh, if you're doing constant uh, testing or at least often on testing throughout the day, do you always fire up your own server before you run tests and then afterwards you kill it or do you just leave it running all day? To me, that seems like, ah, you know, I don't really enjoy doing that. Yes. So uh, for another part of of the article, uh, of, that is, um, uh, I have to mention 
but all, all the best. It. And, uh, for, and for another thing is that uh, we have uh, continuous uh, uh, continuous delivery. We have continuous deployment, and for that we was we use Travis. So anything related to um, to testing a feature, if it is needed, is needed for external tools, I try to include that uh, into the article also. So uh, when I um, I am developing and I need to test uh, to to run the next test, I I I, um, I, I, I uh, very rarely uh, reboot my computer. So we, I normally have an uptime for months. So I have a terminal window that I have run the fake F three to command and I leave it to open. For until I reboot uh, my machine, and when I reboot to my machine, I uh, run that command again, and yeah, that, that's the way I, I, I get it to work. I don't think it uh, consumes a lot of resources, so yeah. Cool, I appreciate that. So you have another uh, another post where you talked about uh, Puppeteer versus uh, WK HTML to PDF. I've also been back and forth on that a little bit. I'd love to hear your your insights. Yeah, so uh, I think it was like four or five months ago. I needed to generate um, like an invoice report for the the app that I am uh, creating. And um, when you search for PDF generation in in the Gex repository, uh, you find that uh, WKHTML to PDF is the top uh, dependency, or in this case, it's, it's, a, well, it's a wrapper for uh, binary that uh, allows you, you to generate PDF and files with HTML code. So uh, I've tried to tweak uh, to to use this uh, this functionality, uh, but I I forget also a lot of issues, mostly in terms of the design and um, the the, render, the rendering engine that was creating the this PDF file uh, was creating like for example um, uh, overlapping uh, rows of the tables from one page to another page, some characters, and uh, the application that I am uh, developing is to um, Chinese, is target to Chinese people. So I need to put Chinese characters there, and I had a, a bit of trouble with that. And I have explored, I, um, I did go into the detail repository, I have tried to talk with um, the, the people that were using this extension, this library, and uh, I didn't find like a perfect solution that uh, uh, render uh, generating a PDF file on, on, on uh, from my computer, that is uh, it's a uh, MacBook, 13 retina display, it will not generate the same file 
as I put in late, uh, as I put in the rate on the EC2 for Amazon machine. So I was like kind of the design needed to be perfect because of this overlapping. I needed to, to do some calculation to count the number of rows that I can put on the page and and do some calculation to have this perfect design for PDF that at the end of the day, some guy on the issue I've, I've created sent me to take a look into Puppeteer. So I have I uh, took a look into it. It is um, uh, I think uh, Google created it as a, a feature for the Node.js, and I have I have uh, done some testing uh, with that, and uh, it worked like a charm. I didn't need to do some calculations to have the perfect HTML design, and uh, I found that. One guy also turned it into a Toget Jam. So uh, at the end of the day, I have decided to to uh, to create uh, to create for my own uh, wrapper. So uh, to, to so for guys in the that, that create really for application could use this wrapper instead of the of the other wrapper to generate their own PDF files. And uh, the only thing I uh, I couldn't do that uh, I I think I have to written during that, um, during that blog post is that the time it takes to generate a, a PDF file is a little bit longer than the other wrapper. And the size of the PDF file is a lot bigger than the other uh, the, the wrapper um, took available. So, but, but in the end, it was way easier to generate PDF file using the puppeteer uh, feature than using some custom uh, uh, custom uh, binary uh, that had a lot of bugs. And uh, I also took took a look into the issues on the GitHub repository, and uh, it was a lot of trouble. And in the end, it was very simple to, to use. Puppeteer, and then I decide to contribute to the community. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash elixir. What's your process when you run into these problems? I, I see that you... You do like to uh, share your knowledge, which I think is amazing. When you run into a problem like this, what takes your mind from, okay, I'm solving this problem to, okay, I want to help others solve this problem? Yeah, so uh, first I try to understand for the problem and uh, to try to replicate it, to uh, try to understand like in terms of code, for a lot of times, I have uh, going to um, the dependencies in 
in the prelix here and um, checking if something uh, like for example i was using guardian db that is like an extension to uh, the guardian that uh, allows you to use gwt to authenticate and handle users login and i noticed that uh, after token update the one of my tests that i i've trying to to test the, the login functionality and the refresh token functionality and logout functionality was failing and uh, it took me sometimes plenty to, to to for example to go into the dependency files add add some guy ex to try to to understand how how the code was behaving and after some time i tracked down uh, the code with the issue and i create a pull request and then uh, i, I try to, to document all things so if uh, if a person that it's not aware of these issues or, or of this problem if it's read it from top to the bottom it could clearly to understand the, the issue and i i also try to add uh, an explanation uh, how I solve it, how I track it, why I think this is the correct behavior and not the current one is the correct behavior. So I think like when we trying to contribute uh, to, for example, to Stack Overflow, we don't need like to write the shortest answer first. We need to explain why uh, this answer is the best answer and to create and add all the detail into our answer in a way that um, when other people see our answer and understand it, why it's the correct answer and, uh, and uh, not just an answer. I love it. Absolutely love it. You know, I think all of us, I think all of us have had uh, experiences taking what we've learned and sharing. Uh, I know, Mark, you've been working on Elixir courses. And as you've learned, you've also trained. For me, when I started, like, Teach Me to Code way, way back in the day, and Chuck helped me and then took it over and, like, became this, like, mastermind of, of uh, media. Um, it was all in an effort to help other people understand and learn so that um, so the, it's not only about passing on knowledge, though. It's almost like it's paying it forward. I, I know that this is what led me here, so I'm going to give it back. But another aspect of training and teaching is, is it really solidifies your knowledge because it's one thing to act on what you think. It's a completely other thing to act on something, to, to share what you're doing because others can critique you and judge you and, and say, oh, you're wrong. So it forces you to like, okay, I really have to do good. It's like, it's like when you're driving and you don't really think about driving, but all of a sudden you see two lanes over, there's a cop. And then you become very, very careful on how you drive, right? It, all of a sudden, you're looking at your speed. You're both hands on the wheel. You're not on your phone or anything like that. Um, it's the same type of thing. And just to add, um, to add another thing is that when we, we explain how these things work and how we get there, some other problems in the future, when a person are um, it. it's if it uh, ever read the explanation or if it's with um, how to track a problem or how to dive into the code uh, and, and then the person could try to apply these steps 
and try uh, for them to understand uh, what the issue is and try to go deeper and deeper to try to understand how how the code, how the code work. I think I think for example in this case of the Guardian DB at the end when I found the problem I also could understand to better how the how the dependency uh, how it works and how how it functions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you find, like you said, you find additional things that you may not have considered as you're exploring and sharing this stuff. I know that um, in the Ruby Rogues podcast, one of our panelists is Dave Kimura. And every week he comes out with new videos on driftingruby.com on training people on certain aspects of, of the language or the framework or whatever it might be. But a lot of a lot of for, uh, foresight is that a word? A lot of forethought needs to go into what am I presenting? Is it accurate data? And is this providing true value to others? So it's it's awesome. You're, I love your blog. I think that it's pretty awesome. Mark, what's your experience in this? Well, I think a lot of us can identify. I know I can with that feeling of like in math class, right? The teacher teaches you something. You're like, okay, I got this. I got this. I can totally do this. And you go home time to do the exercise and you're like, I have no idea where to start. And that's really when you start teaching people and sharing with people, it kind of challenges you to, to realize that maybe I don't have as solid of an understanding of this as I thought I did. And that's a good thing because it helps us uh, explore more about a, a topic or a concept. And that's one of the things I really enjoy is helping people get their idea around a thought process. Because like coming to Elixir, it is a very different way of thinking about development. Uh, the idea of OTP and processes, it's a different way of modeling a problem in your mind. And so, yeah, I can get the syntax okay, but it's that mental shift that I have to take to say, I'm kind of thinking differently now. How do I approach my tests differently? How do I, you know, pattern matching is, can also be a very different way of thinking. So I totally agree that when we teach, we learn. Uh, when you teach, you are challenged. People ask you questions and they reinforce that, okay, I don't know how to answer that yet. Let me get back to you. Or uh, as you explain it, it's like, oh, I do know the answer to that. And you're able to explain it and it becomes more solid for you. So teaching and sharing what you learn as you go is an incredible way to just build your own uh, concepts and share it and share it with other people. I agree with the idea of sharing it forward is kind of an idea of that because we have all grown because someone else has shared. And the other way I like to think about it is the, uh, the highway principle. That, you know, you're talking about driving in police cars, right? <laughs> so imagine you're all driving on the highway going in the same direction. So there's a car in front of me and there's a car behind me. And I'm just where I am. And just, I, can, I don't have to be like the end-all, be-all expert on something. I can just share with the person who's right behind me. And I'm the person, I just most recently learned this concept I can share that with the person who's just coming along behind me. And just the idea of I can learn something from the person in front of me. They don't have to be the guru. I don't have to learn from Jose Valim himself. You know, um, that'd be great if I could, but you know, I don't need that. I can just, just someone who's a couple steps ahead of me. And so, I don't know. I think it's valuable to, to go to meetups, to just talk with people and just share, hey, this is what I just learned. You know, it could be a blog anything. And just, it's important to share because we grow and we help others grow. I just want to pile on this a little bit because, um, I mean, everything that Mark said, I truly agree with. 
Um, the other thing for me, this will come as a surprise to no one, I think, uh, given how many podcasts I do, but I process things auditorially. And so it's not just me kind of solidifying or more deeply understanding a particular issue. A lot of times I'll have epiphanies about connections. I'll make those connections when I'm talking about something, right? So I'll be talking to somebody about their Phoenix project or their Rails project or their JavaScript project. And as we talk through it, something I say will connect to something else that I said and something that they said, and I learned something new. So it's not just deepening the knowledge I have, but it's also my way of learning. And I feel like over the years, I have leveled up in a lot of ways more from having the conversations on the podcast like Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber than I have by sitting down and writing code. And, and I learn different ways by doing that. But it, it all kind of comes together, I think, in a lot of ways when I have the opportunity to discuss the ideas. Uh, like I can have a, a thing that, for example, some of the issues, that, uh, some of the problems that I've solved, it's that uh, I'm trying like for an hour, try to find out uh, the issue and I can't find out the issue. And then I turn into uh, a colleague of mine. I talk loud and clear the, the issue. I try to explain, I try this, I try that, I try that. And at the end, I stop talking because I have figured it out because express our, um, our problems uh, if we speak it out. At the same time we speak, our process in our head, it's different than thinking about it. So that, that is one of the things that help to understand problems is to talk with someone, even if that someone don't understand anything about code. Yeah, I'll do that with my wife. I'll go downstairs. Let me talk to you about this thing. And I'll get about three words in and I'll be like, never mind, I got it. And run it back upstairs. So yeah. <laughs> Anything else we want to jump on before we uh, do picks? I can try uh, and talk about another library that uh -huh. I've created. Uh, I have created two, and I think uh, both... Uh, I am not sure how, uh, the, the first one I've created, but I, I think it was the CyberSource that um, is a payment processor for Gateway. And uh, it took some time, I think, since I st I've started until... Um, uh, uh, until Evit working, it, it, it was more or less about four months. And uh, the thing is, uh, we had implemented a Stripe as um, uh, the payment for gateway we were going to use. But our client wanted to uh, for us to to use another one that it was CyberSource. And there are kind of uh, I think they own Visa or Visa own them. And they, they have a lot of documents how to implement it. Um, they have SDKs, I think, in PHP, Java, uh, .NET, C++, I think. And they don't have anything, of course, in Ruby or in or other non-so-common uh, so language. And uh, I took a look into the documents that it's kind of 200 pages per document that is a, uh, that have a lot of text and I need to understand what parts of it I need to take it in in order to create a, a, a dependency uh, to use with the Elixir. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the, the API that I needed to use, it was um, clean soap. So I don't like soap. Uh, I have worked in all companies 
that they had technology, uh, technology uh, with the SOAP APIs. It's, uh, it's an XML uh, output. It's, it's very heavy. And uh, that was kind of a challenge because I needed to research a lot um, uh, in, to understand how I uh, create a, a SOAP-like client to interface uh, uh, with the uh, here and uh, all the projects that exist in Elixir are are uh, wrappers to Erlang, and they they are very confusing to understand it. And then uh, after trying, I think there is uh, there is an HTTP client um, uh, dependency for Elixir that is HTTP poison. And uh, I, after some tries, I could uh, understand that uh, uh, if I if I crafted the XML to payload uh, to, to to match the the, the SOAP API, I could create uh, an um, bound request, and I can get and process the data that I need to send to their SOAP API. So I have an article in the, um, it's still not finished, but it's kind of explaining uh, that, for example, uh, when we create an API, for example, a JSON API, we don't think in using HTML or for XML in our code. But uh, in, uh, for example, in, in, in the software I've created it, I already use HTML to, to generate uh, for email for templates, I've I've used for XML to create SOAP requests, and I use it again in HTML, HTML in order to generate for PDF uh, files. So uh, at the end, the templating that uh, I think it's also um, well implemented in Phoenix, um, and I think it's about, uh, the most uh, Elixir framework, uh, we can still use for templates to, in our um, in, in, in creation of our API. So and uh, and uh, for another thing, uh, these were my two first um, dependencies that I've created, and uh, I know that I, I still have a lot. To learn and a lot to improve, and um, I went to Elixir forum uh, to ask to the users to test my uh, to test my uh, dependency. In this case, it was the PDF uh, file generator, and uh, for, I asked them for feedback, and they gave me a lot of feedback. Uh, 50, uh, they gave me a lot of feedback, like for example, how to change the the function names to be more meaningful and to better represent the action on it. And uh, it's uh, it, it's another way to to uh, to get more knowledge uh, how to proper con contribute back to the community. Yeah, I have had the. Uh, perhaps misfortune of working with other like financial institutions and they tend to have older technology and soap was one of them. And that was, uh, 
yeah, there's, there isn't great support in Elixir for talking with SOAP, uh, with SOAP interfaces. So yeah, you really, I just kind of did the, I think the same thing, which is I fell back to using uh, an XML parser and like XPath style way of uh, referencing into the document and using um, templating to generate XML files or XML bodies that I would post up using HTTP poison. So yeah, it, that ended up being the best solution for me too. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel your soap pain there. Kind of wrapping everything together. Um, I equally dislike soap. And it's kind of funny as a developer, you say, I hate soap, but everybody looks at you and be like, man, what's wrong with you? Because like, that's what makes you clean, right? No, no, soap sucks. Um, but I wrote a blog post way back in 2008 on how to connect to soap endpoints using Ruby. And that was before uh, Sabon existed and, and a lot of the nice libraries that are out there today. Um, and when I did that, uh, well, let's uh, think about uh, two or three years ago, I was researching online, like, how do I connect to SOAP with Ruby? And I'm Googling it. And I found my article from like eight years prior. And it was very interesting to me, like, oh, this is the right solution. And I thought, of, and this was, I, I taught this eight years ago. So it was kind of fun to find. And it also lends to the importance of documenting and sharing what you learn because, you know, you'll probably be, end up going back and, and, uh, and looking at it all over again. I used to blog a lot and I wrote a post on the, um, the asset pipeline. And this was before their documentation was really well. So I would actually refer to my own documentation over their documentation until they, they cleaned it up. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I think that's one thing too that I think a lot of people... They, they kind of discount, right? I mean, uh, a lot of the documentation we go look up, it basically says, here's a function or a method and here's what it does. And you can get other documentation that is, here's how I did this thing with this library. And it's, it's super handy to have. Or, you know, like Eric said, if something's new, having somebody walk you through how to use it or how to do something with it is very, very helpful as well. And it's, a, it's something that anybody can do. Eric, do you want to start us off with picks? <laughs> sure. I've got uh, one pick today. Um, and that pick is a, a really cool tool called Doxify. And what it does is you can create um, documentation, a really simple uh, GitHub pages host documentation using just Markdown. And it'll add the navigation. It'll add the search. There's embeddable widgets in there. But it's kind of fun because uh, I've seen it used in people's learning, uh, learning process. So, for example, I have a repo on GitHub that's, that's open source, and it's just like what I learn. And I have these categories of languages or frameworks or whatever it might be. And in there is where I perform exercises and do stuff and keep notes. But uh, using something like Docsify would allow anybody to go in and create a uh, a, a very beautiful website around that uh, with no effort. You don't need to write any HTML. So anyway, it's at doxify.js.org. That's all I got. Awesome. Mark, what are your picks? Kind of in the vein of documentation, I wanted to pick xdoc. It's kind of built into Elixir. The official Elixir documentation is done with xdoc. One of the things I think is helpful with it is to actually run xdoc on your own project. You learn a lot in just browsing what your own documentation looks like. You see what your method sig or your function signatures look like, 
And then you start to learn like, oh, I should be using function headers because they'll actually have names if I have, as opposed to where if I had a value, a pattern match where I had a value of nil for an argument, then in the docs, it'll just come out as arg2 or something like that. So it just, you end up being able to create clearer code. And I just love the idea of having like, as I push up my code and I have like a CI server that like a Jenkins kind of a thing that it can run a task to generate my docs and host it somewhere for our internal use so that I can see and everyone can just say, I can browse around on, at least this is the documentation for the master branch. And I think, I think it helps us build better interfaces and better documentation when you start seeing what it ends up coming out as. So I just pick xdoc. Nice. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks that uh, are much less related to code and documentation. Um, the first one I've been playing a little bit of uh, Breath of the Wild. That's the new Zelda. I guess it's not new, but it's the Zelda on the Nintendo Switch. Um, and I've really been enjoying that. So I'm going to pick that. And then um, one other thing that I'm going to pick, um, it's a book series. And I've picked this on some of the other shows. Uh, not on this show yet, because this show's pretty new. Um, but uh, it's a book series that I've been listening to. And uh, they just re- or the author just released the last book in the series. It's called The Iron Druid Chronicles. Um, it's a fun book series. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know how much of it I really want to spoil for people. But essentially, um, the premise is that there is this druid that's been living for about 2,000 years. And um, anyway, uh, there's a, an Irish god that's after him. This is kind of the, the synopsis of the first book. And so it's, you know, it's that confrontation kind of comes to a head and then it, it triggers all of these after effects and that's what all the uh, other books are about. So it's, it's been kind of interesting to listen to and enjoy. Um, and yeah, the, the other bit of premise to the book is that um, all of the other belief systems are given power by people's belief in them. And so he interacts with other gods and pantheons and deities. And anyway, it's, it's a really, really fun book. So uh, um, the first book, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but anyway, you can go find it at Iron Druid Chronicles. Um, and they're all on Audible. And so uh, that's the way I've been enjoying them. So anyway, I'll, I'm going to pick that. Uh, David, oh, one other thing I wanted to shout out about real quick. Um, make that two things. So one is I'm going to be speaking at the Framework Summit in Park City, Utah, um, October 2nd and 3rd. So if you want to come up and hang out, that would be awesome. Um, they're also going to have the core teams there from a lot of the JavaScript frameworks that are out there. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, definitely check it out. It's also a good place to kind of um, get the lay of the land as far as what everybody's doing in the JavaScript space. And so I have a lot of people ask, how do I stay current on the, the state of technology and things? And I, I think this is a really good place because a lot of times the other conferences are a little more focused on a particular framework. And so you miss what's going on in the other communities. So definitely check that out. Um, one last thing, um, the presale is still going on for my Get a Coder Job book. So if you go to devchat.tv slash shop, you can either get the video course or the ebook. Uh, the video course does include the ebook. Um, and they, they are on 50% sale until um, Labor Day. So I think that's September 3rd or 4th. It's the first Monday in September. So uh, definitely check that out. All right, David, what are your picks? Um, I don't have anything really. What's your favorite TV show? <sighs> TV show? Um, I like... For I like like real world series. I I I I've ever watching I've watching Netflix like the, the Dirty Money. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they are, uh, and you, you have the famous uh, like political uh, political case. Uh, I, I think it's called the mechanism is about the Lava Jato operation in uh, Brazil that it was like kind of a political scheme to to get money from uh, the people to uh, a big uh, company there. But I, I like a lot of like. Um, for, uh, I like a lot of uh, reading like this kind of um, uh, to understand how things work uh, um, and uh, in terms of of uh, books, for example, uh, I've read the biography of um, Elon Musk uh, mm-hmm. and um, Steve Jobs also, and I'm currently reading a book uh, that uh, contains the biography of Nikola, Nikola Tesla. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of looking to it. Very cool. Those all sound really, really interesting. Um, I think I listened to the biography of Steve Jobs by uh, Isaacson. And that was interesting. I'll have to check out those other ones. All right, David, one last question. If people want to find you online, where do they go? It looks like you're on Medium and GitHub. Um, yeah, and Twitter. so yeah, my mainly handle is Steve Dragon. Uh, with double D, I'm on Twitter, on GitHub, uh, on for Medium, and I think on Stack Overflow and stuff like that. So uh, people can reach me out if they want to send an email at like speeddragon dot uh, uh, speeddragon at gmail dot com. All right, sounds good. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you very much for having me. All right, folks, we'll have some more for you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.